Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm good. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, how are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing well, too. Nice. So it's episode 59, and our introduction is totally different. But for <laughs> those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, our main topic will be the new draft changes. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. So Hats, how was your draft week? Uh, it was up and down. Um, Direwolf, the maker of Eternal, did what they often do with draft and announce m- major sweeping changes to the format the day before they're implemented. And uh, <laughs> and I struggled a little bit at the beginning uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is just there's always a little bit of a struggle when there's uh, when there's changes, and uh, and the other is that the the packs started out. Um, uh, the way the the way draft works is that we you see packs that have had human beings take cards out of them, and uh, at the beginning of a new format, I guess they just throw in a bunch of packs with random cards taken out of them by an artificial intelligence that weights every card equally. <laughs> and so, for a while at the beginning of this new format, uh, you would just see crazy powerful cards uh, at the very end of the pack. Um, and and then after that, in the middle of the pack, and only now, uh, a couple of days later, has it started to calm down and feel like you're actually drafting with real people again. Um, and also, it kind of seemed like there were more legendaries in the format than there should have been. So that made every draft, uh, every draft deck extremely powerful and also extremely swingy. So it felt like utter chaos to me. I don't thrive in utter chaos. <laughs> I, I, I ping pong off the walls and, and, uh, and get confused and drown. That's what I did. Uh, but now that things have calmed down a bit, I'm, 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 I'm getting the winds in again, and I'm starting to feel more comfortable. So, right. yeah. How, how was your draft week? So does that mean I can enter the draft queues again? I would say that it's safe to do that now. Yeah, I think it was a really great time for rare drafters because you were getting rares and legendaries very late. I think that actually might have gotten a few people into the draft queues that might otherwise not have been enthusiastic about it. So that's nice yeah. to play against some unfamiliar names. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, it may still be a little weird, but they feel like normal packs now. Okay. I had yeah, a draft today I, that felt for... like a real, yeah. For me, it was actually just the opponent, my op- opponent's deck quality, because when if when everyone seemed like they were posting pictures of busted decks, and I didn't have a chance to finish my my last draft before the changes, because as you mentioned, um, since Direwolf gives everyone approximately twelve hours of notice before they're going to completely change the format. I was unable to finish my draft run, but I really liked my deck. So then I was going to play the games, and then everyone's like, I have four legendaries and 16 rares. And I was like, well, I don't really want to run this deck that I <laughs> that I like into that necessarily. Yeah, that's fair. Probably um, wise, yeah. So I've been, I've been holding off, except for last night... Um, I went to play a game of Eternal, of Constructed, but my finger just so naturally goes to the draft queue 
that <laughs> I actually was dealt my hand and I was like, huh, that's weird. I don't remember my constructed deck being TJP. And then I was like, oh no! <laughs> 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 uh, and then, of course, I lost to Shavka Stranger. Oh, I was yeah. Like, this was why. I know. <laughs> I should have written it on my hand. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the actual changes a little bit later, but uh, yeah, Direwolf, if you're going to make major changes and you listen to this podcast, if you're listening now, Scarlatch, give us more warning. <laughs> it's only the decent thing to do. Yeah, I know. I know. I know they like to keep things hidden in secret, but it, it sort of feels like, I don't know. I guess I don't know the best way because they probably don't want people to like not draft for the last two days before a change or whatever. Sure. But like for me, it's it's like less fun going into the change with a draft deck like a quarter finished, you know, not finished or whatever, or to like start a draft right before the change but not realize it, you know, especially for me where I have to like fit in my games where I can. So I'm not always just like drafting a deck and then playing my three to ten games. Yeah, I don't think that I, mean, I don't think you're alone there either. I think probably there's just a handful of us who sort of obsessively finish every draft that we start, and probably most people play a little bit more casually and uh, and jump into their draft games as they go. And it's not really fair to those people, yeah, to change it up halfway through. Plus, uh, the the shift that happened this time, the they made they made two changes, right? They they did the nerfs and the buffs to certain cards for the sake of balance and constructed, and they also changed the draft format. Those yeah. two updates didn't happen at the same time, although one might assume that they would because they were listed as the same update. <laughs> and so and so midway through a con- like I queued up a couple of constructed games while I was waiting. Uh, while I was waiting for the draft changes to take place. And then I noticed during one game that some my opponent, uh, who was playing what, the very popular, uh, like, Firetime, Shadow, you know, Sacrifice, Jack, Kato deck that everyone was playing there, um, and they got all messed up in the middle of their game because the changes happened. Like, they had queued up before the changes had happened. Yeah. And then it, once they were in the game, they realized that their Aramats Machinations costs six and it's in their market. So they can't get it because it has to cost five. (laughs) (laughs) Like midway through the game, they just sort of start emoting and not playing any cards. And I realized why once they played a rectifier with the, with the nerf on it. And so I was like, Oh great. The draft changes must've gone through. So after that game, I went and started a draft. They had not. <laughs> it was the old. It was the old draft format, and so I just had to play a whole dra- draft format uh, without the changes. Except that by the time I was done picking my cards, the new changes had happened. So I had to play with my old deck against the new Bonkers Legendary decks, and lost yeah. real bad. <laughs> it was the whole thing was a little uh, unprofessional, frankly. Yeah, yeah, especially for me, it's, like, even less the draft pack and stuff changes. I could almost take or leave that 
you know, with the one day notice or whatever. I mean, it was a little messed up because it, with, as you mentioned, with how powerful the decks, just because the bot draft or the AI was so screwy and the packs were so screwy that, you know, so the decks that the first <laughs> bunch of people drafted were just not comparable. So, like, that's that's a different issue, I think, than the, yeah. the no notice. But, like, giving just less than a day's notice for 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 very like draftable cards like Aramont's machinations and rectifier like people are paying for draft and then if you're a slightly more casual player that can't finish your draft run in the 12 hour notice that they give you you've now spent five dollars for what could become like a totally unplayable deck yeah, because uh, especially in this case, a lot of the nerfs to cards were targeting a specific constructed deck with cards that you're very likely to have in draft. That doesn't usually happen to draft because usually they have to nerf like legendaries and rares. But right. in this case, they hit a bunch of commons and uh, uh, commons and uncommons because those were the cards people were playing in that deck. And so, yeah, your deck was that you drafted might suddenly be real bad. <laughs> Yeah, so, or at least at least much worse than you thought it was. So yeah, they really need to figure out some other way of doing this. Yeah, but um, but my draft week was going great until I I stopped playing draft. <laughs> sure. This, yeah. This yeah. The best way out. to win is not to play. Yeah, and I really do like the my current deck, which is why I've been like a little protective of it. Um, what, kind of, what kind of deck is it? It's a really nice. It's like a TJP deck from the beginning of the format. It just has a lot of great cards in it. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of relics and relic matters. Yeah. And, yeah nice. Uh, yeah. I have both. Um, I have both a wand and an eye of winter. I have a couple rage heart paladins, a couple book club yetis. Um, yeah, that sounds good. So yeah, that sounds real good. So um, I was three and zero with it until I uh, accidentally queued into draft and then lost against someone who recurred a Shopka stranger a couple times against me. But uh, yeah. but uh, uh, and even then, I think I might have won that. But both my uh, wand and um, eye of winter were in the bottom half of my deck, so it took me a while to find them. A little too long, but uh, yeah. So. Um, We'll move on to thanking our patrons here. So for those of you who don't know, uh, you, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal where you can sign up and donate to the show, help support the show, keep it running. Um, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month and you get access to our show notes and recording bloopers on Discord. And you also nudge us to, towards any Patreon goals we might have. And... And also get your name read. So thank you to our veteran patrons, Stephen R., Mercurio Blue, Abed Nago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistout. Yeah, thank you, patrons. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, and then also, this is a, 
a mini listener of the week, but worked on Sun, a longtime patron, has also been streaming a bunch, so check that out if you catch him. I don't know if he has a regular schedule or anything, since uh, everybody's schedule's all wacky weird with this uh, lockdowns and COVID-19 stuff, but uh, he has been scheduling or streaming, so I've checked that out. Pretty cool dude. All right, so what's your card of the week, Katz? Uh, my card of the week is Submerged Titan. Uh, Submerged Titan. Uh, one of the dra- uh, one of the draft changes um, is that a bunch of new cards were added into Expedition, and a lot of them are now uh, boosted commons in the curated draft packs. And uh, Submerged Titan is one of them. It's a three-time one-one, uh, and it says when you play another unit, Submerged Titan gets plus one plus one. Uh, and it has shift four, uh, which is interesting because uh, it's it's one of the few cards that costs more when you shift it, um, but doesn't get any additional abilities. The whole reason that you would pay one more to shift Titan and have it be uh, uh, untargetable for three turns uh, is that it starts off very vulnerable and becomes strong later. And also with shift, you get that one turn of unblockability. So if you played a bunch of units and made submerged Titan quite large, and it can hit your opponent pretty hard the turn that it comes out of shift. Uh, it is also a sentinel, which will matter occasionally in the draft format, not often, but it is one of the sentinels that have been added to the format. So that's worth noticing. Uh, so submerged Titan hasn't been around for a little while. And uh, I was never really all that impressed with it before, but I think it's a lot better now. Um, And that's because of the corrupted mechanic. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because whenever a corrupted unit dies, uh, it is replaced by its shade, and that counts as playing a unit. So you you can shift a submerged titan... And then attack with any like corrupted units you might have, rectifier, uh, unfamiliar interloper, um, you know, fear stoker, not fear stoker, fear tracker, fear tracker, uh, and immediately your opponent is in a position where they might not want to block or trade with those units because the titan will uh, will instantly become larger on that same turn. So you haven't really been able to do that before, where you could play the titan on turn four and then immediately make it larger because you normally have to do that. You know, you have to play a different card to do that, but now you can have units on the board that are, are already capable of playing units by themselves. So it's kind of cool that way. Um, I think that dynamic is interesting, and it also gives a really powerful weapon to uh, the sacrifice decks that want to play a lot of little disposable guys, because they Mm -hmm. not only can be sacrificed for value, they are adding to your game-ending titan. So uh, I think it has a new role in this format that it never was quite able to realize before. Yeah, a couple questions I I have about this, just about its use and um, its place in the format is one. So, do you think shifting it is the main mode you'll want to use it? Uh, not always. I think that I think usually if you're using it the way that I was uh, it, the way that I was just talking about, um, where you're thinking of it as more of a finisher. Uh, yeah. But if 
if you need to get it down on the table and you can't spare the additional power, you know, if you're stuck on three, for example, <laughs> but you still have units in your hand to play, then yeah, you just play it and then hope they can't kill it. It's interesting thinking about it based based on our discussion from last week where we were talking about uh, the 8-1 guy and how much, how that guard is pretty good even though there is a lot of ways to to deal one damage. And Inferno, so, Inferno Zealot, the 8-1. Inferno Zealot, yeah. yeah. And so it's like interesting that this is another 1-1 where that makes me nervous because there are so many ways to punish it. But at the same time, it is still less of a tempo loss to get this killed than your Inferno Zealot. Yeah. And we do like Inferno Zealot. Yeah, we like Inferno Zealot fine. It's kind of a it's kind of a card that's um uh it it's a medium card, you know, it's a playable card yeah. that you're not excited about. I think Submerged Titan is a little different where it's generally going to be playable and a little bit more playable than it has been in previous formats. But in certain types of decks, I think it's going to be great. Like, you're going to look forward to seeing one, which I don't think was true at all before. I think it was just sort of like, well, this is potentially like a win condition um, in my deck that's planning to play some tokens, but I'm not counting on it. And I think it's more reliable now. So... So I think the fact that you know you can always shift it and it's going to be pretty much protected unless like it gets touch of battle like reverberating strike or something like that. Um, or just reverberating strike on the turn that it comes down, I guess, is another possibility. Um, it can be killed. Um, but uh, I think it's... I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe I'm just sort of seeing it in a new light as well. I think what I'm saying about it is correct, though, that it's in a much better position now than it used to be. Yeah, well, the the other thing that I my other thought about it is, you know, up until now there hasn't been a really um, consistent or prevalent um, aggressive deck to punish you sort of doing tempo loss plays like spending four power to play a one one. Sure. Um, uh, that's and- an that's another factor. Yeah, I think aggro is going to be better now. Than mm-hmm. it was in the last in the last couple of iterations of, of the set eight draft format, so that's a real cost for sure. Yeah, uh, I think that you sort of have to look at this as your as your end game win condition or one of them, mm-hmm. and accept that there's going to be one turn at some point in the game where you have to take a tempo loss in order to get this thing rolling. Right. All right. So my card of the week this week is Contaminating Ritual. That is the one shadow fast spell. Give one of your units plus one attack, flying, and lifesteal at the end of your turn. Sacrifice it. Um, The reason I'm picking this as my card of the week is uh, Epic Handyman um, had a seven-win deck list this week where uh, he commented that he kind of wished he had a second one because it was just in his deck because this card is so good with cards like Aramoth's Machinations and Recursion. And it kind of got me thinking a little bit, um, you know, because I've always felt like this was a kind of an interesting card where you kind of like what it's doing, but it's still card disadvantage. And I found it interesting that he wanted another one because even when you're recurring something with 
even when you're recurring something, you're still down a card. And so it's really hard for me to like place, put, figure out like how good this card is or where you should play it. Because even when it's at its best, you're still often down a card unless you're doing something with like exalted shenanigans where it is at its best. Sure. Yeah, that's the, the, I have, my thoughts about it are similar to that too. Um, I I have a hard time getting behind a card that's, that's going to be, that's going to be card disadvantaged most of the time. Um, I don't, I don't know what I think about this card. I like the best that I've ever seen this card actually is when um, I had a uh, I had a pack conjuring and I was attacking like a spacing hoping to get a win uh, and I was racing so I was going to die if I didn't kill my opponent this turn and I pack conjuring to kill one of their units um, and uh, and one of the invoke possibilities was contaminating ritual and. I had to do one more damage on my turn in order to win that turn, and Contaminating Ritual does give you one additional strength, so it was great there. That's the only time I've ever actually played the card, so as far as I can remember, that's the that's it. It was like this sort of corner case. Uh, I've never just put it in a deck hoping that it would... I, and I guess the question for me isn't just that it's card disadvantage. It's clearly having, if you get bring back with a triumphant return something that has flying and lifesteal, it's going to be very hard to race that unit. The question for me is always, would you still have won the game if you just used, if you had just not killed your own unit with one of your own cards and kept attacking with it normally? Would right. you have won the game then? Like, did it need flying and life steal and to be brought back from the void in order to win the game for you? Was that the actual thing that made you win the game? Or um, if you had had a different card in the place of contaminating ritual, like another unit that could attack, would that have also been very, very good? I don't know. I think if you can consistently bring stuff back from the void, like you've got like like three or four um, recursion effects or something like that, then... I can and and you have like units that are otherwise going to be obsolete because they get outclassed or uh, or whatever. Then I can see this being good, but it's a very hard sell for me. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like there's cards like Immortalize where it's at its best because then with that weapon you're sort of recouping the card disadvantage a little bit by making a second unit really good on top of it. But then you're once again talking about these two card combos where one of your cards is not particularly good and do you really want to be playing that? But I don't know. I mean, the card does some cool stuff and I don't know, Direwolf put it in the packs for a reason. And it it was just interesting to see someone commenting about how they like the card and Epic Candyman is a is a very good drafter, so yeah, for so. sure. I think it's just sort of a, a style that I'm un, that I'm uncomfortable with because I think about the worst case scenario for it, which is yeah. you know like the it, it's it's the only playable card left in my hand, yeah. and um I can and I'm and I just think about all of the other cards I could have included in my deck instead of this that would give me more board presence. 
because if I play this, then the only unit I have on board dies. <laughs> it feels like, well, I uh, wish I had a card that didn't kill my own unit. <laughs> I yeah. wish that was something. I, I don't know. It's it's, uh, <clears throat> it, it, but it also also like dismissing it the way that I'm doing right now goes against my general philosophy of trying to build a deck instead of just a bunch of good cards. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's enough things that contaminating ritual uh, combines with, then it seems like it should be a good thing to include, especially if those combinations are really really powerful. And yeah, like, I uh, guess I just can't get over the card disadvantage part of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like no matter how good it is, you're still throwing away a card. I think the there's also another factor here is the is that there's still a lack of hard removal in the format. Uh -huh. um, there's there's more now than there was when set eight first came out, but still it's kind of difficult to just take out a card with one card. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you've got this flying lifesteal thing, there's only a handful of ways to deal with it and most of those ways especially in this new format have been taken off of the table rectifier is still in it's worse we'll talk about that in a moment but some of the other silence effects have been unboosted like uh, peacekeeper's helm is not a boosted card anymore yeah and that was one of the other ways that things would just sort of get routinely silenced uh and so yeah uh not having and and fire still doesn't have a good removal spell at common. So, uh, you, you know, there's not a lot of ways to just sort of get rid of a thing cold. So card disadvantage, like have if you use like three cards to get this giant flying lifesteal thing, you've used contaminating ritual, you use the original unit, you use triumphant returners or something to get it back. Um, there's not very many cards that can punish you really hard for that. So yeah. sometimes it's just worth worth the gamble. Yeah. Whereas if the removal were stronger, um, and there were a lot of ways to just kill an entire unit with one card, then it would be a, a much bigger risk. Right. Yeah, maybe that's my... Because I, I keep coming back to... I don't remember if it was last set, but it was the, the four-cost shadow spell where you sacrifice two units to play a Bane Wolf. Mm-hmm. And then if they have 10 or more cards in their void, you play two. And obviously it was great when you played two Bane Wolves, but, you know, sometimes you had to play that for one. And you're like, well, a four cost seven, six unblockable is seems like a great card. But, you know, the fact that you had to sacrifice two units was always like a surprisingly big cost, especially when they bounced it or killed it the next turn and i think that card really showed how detrimental sort of this card disadvantage is of playing a card that really doesn't impact the board or you know spending two cards to play a powerful unit is often not worth it and i feel like contaminating ritual combos sort of butt up against that problem a lot yeah, I think it's a high-risk play, but, uh, you know, if it turns out good, then it turns out very good. It's it's super hard to erase something that's been given those specific yes. uh, upgrades. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it might be something that I try playing with a little bit more. Um, when, I, when I play on stream and there's a contaminating ritual, there's always a few people that want me to take it and play it, and I'm always very resistant to it. And maybe that's a mistake. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, obviously... I've been, I've been like gotten by... Some... Sorry. Oh yeah, like we started with some good drafters are playing it, so yeah, um, it works yeah, for sure. someone. 
there's a lot of different ways to be a good drafter too. You know, uh, that's that's another thing that uh, that 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 proves is that there's a lot of good approaches to drafting that will that will result in success because i'm i've been doing very well without playing contaminating ritual <laughs> and some people are doing very well playing it yeah <laughs> so two different philosophies can coexist i agree all right so on to our seven win run breakdown we don't have much to say this week because for about the 15th time in set eight, we have a brand new draft format. It's also, uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention this, it's, it's, it makes our um, last episode of really on point, <laughs> where we talk about how you keep your edge in a stale format. <laughs> so yeah. uh, enjoy that, everyone who's listening. To yeah. <laughs> Well, that'll apply again in about two months. <laughs> I know. It was funny. I was finishing editing it last night, though, and I was like, and the draft changes had just happened, and I'm like, <laughs> Now, how do you keep your edge in a fresh format? That's what we're going to talk about now. Um, but, uh, yeah, but for those of you who don't know, we do collect seven win runs um, from all our listeners where you could uh, either... Email them at farmingeternalgmail.com or post them in our 7Win channel in our Farming Eternal Discord. You can find a link to the Discord in our show notes um, or on the Reddit posts. And also, and we accept those deck lists in um, either as exported deck lists or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we take all that information, we put it in some spreadsheets, we do some analysis of that, and we talk about it. But like I said, the format just changed. So we don't have much to say, so I'm going to give a big shout-out to everyone who did contribute, though, as well as John Holio for entering all the lists. So this week we have three new contributors. There's Orlin, Christian L., and Morgan P., as well as our veteran contributors, one Dr. Zoe1, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Argo Control, Blake, Kalebovich, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Darth Herman 2, D-Dubs, Dubes, Handyman, Hats on Lamps, Jedi EJ, Jed the Hammer, John Holio, Johnny D. Lowell, Cassandrath, Low-Key Trickster, Mancio1982, Mercurial Blue, Another Ship, Old Rich, Out on a Limb, Pachi, um, Pachi L-O-T-R, Parmalee, Pat Domaro, Probably Red, Sleffer13, SSJ1997, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Vader, Winter Mute, and Work Done Sun. Oh, and also, congratulations to Vader for being a number one drafter last month. Yeah, congratulations, Vader. Well yeah. done. Pretty cool. So we'll move straight into our main topic, because there's a lot to talk about this week, and that is discussing all the changes that happened to the format this week. Um, so like I've kind of hinted at, I have, uh, I'm going into this blind because I have not played the new format. Um, but Hats has a lot to say, and I'm ready to learn. <laughs> And yeah, be a be a vessel for all our listeners. So the first thing that happened is uh, that there was a there was a major constructed tournament, um, and the the top the top constructed decks in Expedition were all essentially the same deck. There might have been some some exceptions, but they were almost all time fire. Some combination of time fire shadow. Uh, sacrifice playing overpowered cards, Jack and Kato and uh, Vox and so forth. So 
so so there's some most of the changes are nerfs to the cards that were too strong in that deck. Um, some of which were commons and uncommons, and those are the ones that we're going to talk about here. I'm going to skip the rares and legendaries. The first one is Nahid's Distillation. Uh, it has uh, that's a it's a spell that draws three cards. It cost it used to cost six time, um, and you could discount it by two by mm. exhausting one of your units, which essentially meant that it. Um, that it drew three cards for four power. It's very strong. It was extremely strong in draft. It was probably the best uncommon in the set. And now it costs one more. So it costs seven power uh, and five if you exhaust a unit. Uh, I think it's still great. Uh, yes. It's uh, spending five power to draw three cards, still very, 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 very strong. Um, it's, uh, I think card draw in general has been underrated in Eternal Draft for a while. Like, you'll see people not getting excited about uh, about a draw two or whatever, but those are very good cards. Card advantage is still a real thing, uh, even if you have to give up a little tempo to do it. Uh, so Distillation is not quite the slam dunk that it was, but I think it's still worth considering anytime you see it. Uh, it might be the only card draw available to you in the colors that you're playing or whatever. Um, it's still splashable. It only costs one time influence. Uh, still a great card. Yeah, I think it's definitely... It, it moved from great to fair, mm -hmm. as in not average, but it's a fair card now where it felt right. it's not breaking before. busted in half the way it was before, yeah. Uh, you could... I mean, like on six power, being able to play one of your many two drops and then draw three cards off of it in the same turn and then attack with everything else you already had on the board. Like, plays like that were too good. Uh, now yes. you'll be able... Now at least you'll have to wait until turn... Like, you have six, seven power in play before you do that. Yeah, and I think... Um, yeah, I think the major... The, one of the, the major difference that will happen is, like, decks that wanted a Nihiz Distillation will still want a Nihiz Distillation. I do think having multiples is a little bit more dangerous because, you know, you don't want to be stuck on four power with two Nahid's distillations. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you still have to hand. count them. You have to count them as five drops now, and you don't want, a, like, a huge spike at your five-drop slot in your deck, no matter whether it's drawing cards or playing units or whatever. You really need to be able to get on the table yeah. um, or before that. All right, so next... Next is Unfamiliar Interloper. It's common. Uh, it's uh, b Both of these were in Echoes of Eternity, by the way. Oh, also, actually, I guess most, almost all of the cards on this list were, were set eight Echoes of Eternity cards. Anyway, it's a common. Um, it's a stranger. It costs two. Uh, no influence requirements. Uh, it, it, it was a 1-2. It is now a 1-1. One, one. Um, and it, uh, when you summon it, you can produce one, um, one influence of any color that you like, and then it has corrupted one, where uh, so it will leave a shade behind that can uh, fix your influence again for the cost of one. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a, I mean, it's obviously worse with one less, with one less um, toughness, uh, with one less health. Mm -hmm. uh, 
the major change here is that this is that in draft is that the shade doesn't stick around for an extra turn. <clears throat> um, like the turn that it dies, it'll die. Uh, so uh, before it it could chump block twice, which was actually quite strong. Um, uh, that your that your that your two drop that fixed your influence uh, could also block one of the your opponent's large units while you were racing or something like that and now it can only block once which significantly affects it but the re the main reason you played it wasn't the chump blocking it made it much better but also like the main reason you played it was was to fix your influence and to be able to play three or four colors more smoothly and it still does that just fine um i've played it in the new format and it seems great still like any time everything that i wanted it for is is it still does so um, I think of all of the of all of the nerfs, this is going to be one of the smallest. Uh, like it, it, I think it affects how high or low I take it in my pick orders, the least. Like I still take it when I feel like I need it, and and ignore it when I feel like I don't. Uh huh. Though I feel like people, and I was getting close to this by the end of the format, where you know you were sort of happy taking this second third fourth pick um yeah just sort of as a as insurance so you could pick up more powerful cards later yeah and so i i think there's two things for me again i'm saying this without having really played the new format that um make me a little bit more down on this card one is like what you were saying where it doesn't it doesn't double chump anymore it's a worse body, but also I feel like the fixing strangers are just like outright better than this now because it's a lot harder to get two colors of influence from the interloper because you only have one turn to do it. Um, and you are going to see the fixing strangers first now that the pack order changed. And so... You're just like, if you're picking the fixing strangers highly, you're like less likely to need an interloper, which means it's like less valuable to you in a sense. As compared to when the pack orders were reversed, you kind of wanted to pick the interloper just in case you didn't see the strangers. Well, now you'll know if you've... <laughs> if you haven't seen the strangers or not before you have to make that decision with interloper, which means like, I think the value of interloper will now be a lot more dependent on your current deck than it was. Yeah. You'll, you'll want to pick them up uh, because you, you, you need them rather than just sort of like, well, I don't, I'm not excited about anything else in the pack. I guess I'll take, I guess I'll yeah. take interloper. Um, so yeah, you might end up with fewer interlopers in your final deck because of that. Um, but the other thing that that means is that some people won't want them because they'll be looking at a strong two-faction deck by the end of pack one, and they'll mm -hmm. want to stick with it, and so they won't be picking up interlopers, so the people who need them will be able to get them fairly easily if they want them. So I think that kind of balances out in the end. Yeah. All right, so next... Rectifier. Rectifier was, I think, the I think everyone who drafted a lot agreed that it was pretty much the best common in in Echoes of Eternity. 
Uh, I don't know. It might still be true. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Rectifier is uh, Rectifier was a uh, a unit three time two one. Uh, its summon ability is to silence another unit, and then it has corrupted two, so it could uh, it could do it again on the way out. Um, the changes are that it's now a one one instead of a two one. And it costs uh, two time influence instead of one time influence, but it still costs three power. So one additional time influence and a one one instead of the two one. I think it's significantly worse, but I'm seeing a lot of people still playing it. It still does what it does, which <clears throat> is to take away the special abilities of of uh, of an opposing unit, which solves a lot of problems. But there's a lot of things that it can't trade with that it used to be able to trade with. So. Um, it still, it still has the sort of chilling effect on the board where you don't want to attack into it because then it leaves a shade behind that can silence something else of yours. Uh, and there's definitely going to be times when that just totally shuts down, um, your ground game because you've got maybe one flyer that's doing damage in the air. And if you also attack with a ground unit, then rectifier and your opponent has a rectifier, then rectifier can block and silence your uh flying unit uh so it still has that power um and that's significant for sure it's that makes it a lot better than for example the one one for two injustice that hasn't been around in draft for a while that used to be um that just silences one unit and then has barely any board presence so it's better than that still still a powerful common um, but I, I do think it's significant that it can't trade for two twos like it used to be able to, because uh, there's yeah. going to be times when uh, you play rectifier, your opponent just has stuff that where the special abilities don't matter that much because they're just playing three threes for three and they just roll over you anyway. Also, because it has one attack, it it can't. You know, I think a a, a situation that would happen every once in a while is. You could just freely attack with your rectifier because your opponent didn't want to block it because they didn't want you to silence their thing. So you were just able to get this like two damage chip damage in every turn, and that is a lot, a lot worse when you're only doing one damage. Yeah, much worse. Uh, so now you that play hardly even makes any sense. Like you'll still do it when it's correct to do it, but. Um, but your opponent is under no pressure to block that thing now. They'll just be like, okay, I'll just take the damage for the next 25 turns. I'll probably draw out of this. Yeah. Whereas before it was, you know, doing two damage a turn is significant. So that there's that. And then also I would splash rectifier. You know, if I was, uh, if I was splashing time, I would throw rectifier in there freely because it was essentially a removal spell. And now I'm not going to do that. It's much harder to cast if, yeah. if time isn't one of your main colors. Uh, the question of whether time is going to be one of your main colors uh, is, is <laughs> it still makes it so that that doesn't really affect Rectifier's playability that much because time's going to be one of your main colors. But um, <laughs> and that's still true. Uh, but if it's not, then that will affect whether you pick it up and play it uh, because the situation before was just like, well, I'm in three, three or four factions. I guess I'll play all of the rectifiers I I see <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> yeah, and it also has gotten worse in in the sense that like a card like Interloper is now worse. And so I do think being these three color all three colors have double faction influence 
is going to be a little harder to do. And, you know, by the end of the format, I was, we talked about this with collector where, you know, like sometimes maybe you just don't play a humbug's nest because it's double time. Oh yeah. Really don't want to do that. And yeah, same for burning core Drake. It's double fire. It's sort of <laughs> like, well, I don't know if I want to play this on turn six. Yeah. And I think rectifier moving into that does, you know, that is a significant cost. Even if time is not your splash color, it just might not be your main color. And, and being double time makes that much harder to play a rectifier in. Yeah, I think I think uh, we're still at the beginning of the format, and so people are still picking and playing them just as high. And we'll see if that and if it ends up, we'll see where it ends up. Yeah. Um, it might still be time's best common because the the effect that it has on the board is still so strong, and removal is still so difficult to come across. Um, but uh, it's it's weaker, no question. Everything that was done to it made it worse. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting about calling it time's best common now is the fact that since the the pack orders have changed and i feel like they added you know time got some pretty sweet sweet tools in with the additional cards in the draft packs oh no question yeah um so you know and now that you're seeing those first so i mean you know time got hit a lot with these changes but they also gained a lot with the draft pack changes so yeah, they did. So I think, I mean, Rectifier used to be sort of the reason you would be in time and then the reason that you would stay in time for the rest of the draft because then you, you would sort of like look at the, your piles of cards in each faction and think, well, I've got this and this and this. Time has Rectifier and Nahid's Distillation and some other stuff. Waste okay, I've got those three cards and really nothing else. But still, that's better than anything else that I have. So I guess I'm <laughs> playing time. Uh, and now since there's a whole pack before you can... Uh, before you can look at your cards and and make that judgment, um, mm -hmm. maybe maybe that that exact calculation won't happen as much. But like you say, time got some times times uh, commons and uncommons in the curated draft packs are pretty solid. So you'll just sort of end up in time for different reasons now, and yeah. then get rectifier as a reward. Yep, your rectifier just might be a tutu. It might be. <laughs> and then its shade is is uh, a one two and sticks around for a turn and can block again. So, yeah. all right. <sighs> so next, uh, speaking of more time cards that got yeah, um, Aramot's Machinations, uh, one of my favorite cards to first pick in the last format. Uh, and it's uh, it it used to be a spell that cost five time shadow. Now it is a spell that costs six time time shadow shadow. So it went to from five to six, and now costs double influence in both of its factions. Uh, bring back from your void uh, a unit with cost one, a unit with cost two, and a unit with cost three, and play them all with plus one, plus one, and overwhelm. Uh, a ridiculously strong card, probably underpriced at five. Uh, at six, I think it's still... I don't think this. I don't think it's affected at all for draft. Like for constructed, sure, because you can't get it out of the market anymore with uh, with the with the with the the spell that got things out of the market. Uh, but for draft, you know, I mean, this effect for six 
still amazing, but you can't splash it the same way. I used to splash Shadow just to play this card, and yeah. that's going to be more difficult now. So in that sense, yeah, it's a much, uh, I'm much less likely to first pick it because it requires so much more of a commitment to a specific faction combination. But um, if I'm in that faction combination, it's still the thing that I'm hoping to see for all of packs two and three. Yeah, I I agree with that assessment. I think I would have put a, a slightly more negative spin in that. Um, I think the fact that it moved to Time Time Shadow Shadow is a big deal. The fact that it moved to six doesn't change the doesn't change the calculus. So it almost to me feels like this was both targeted at constructed and at draft. It could be. I think. It, it, they they might have they might have targeted draft with this a little bit uh, maybe especially with the influence requirements like the influence requirements could target a draft but the cost most definitely targeted constructed because getting machinations out of your market was yeah. the thing that made those decks broken and constructed but in draft yeah making it like not a splashable card uh, is is significant much more significant and for constructed really not so much because you know constructed, you can play whatever influence you want. Because, I mean, if you think about cards that are double, you know, double, double influence, like even like Illa and Mizo, right? Like that was a card where you're like, oh, crap, this is like an incredibly powerful card, but I can't play it because it's time, time, primal, primal. Yeah. And I think it's you it's you don't want to underappreciate how much this like double, double influence requirement is. Uh, Yeah. Did we actually say outright, hey, they switched the draft pack order? I don't think you... I, we did not mention that yet. No, we haven't. Uh, but we're going to be referring to that constantly. So, yeah, that, that's that's probably the big change, uh, or one of the biggest changes that they made is that now we're going to be picking uh, packs one and two... Sorry, packs one and four are the curated draft packs, and then packs two and three are Echoes of Eternity. So they've reversed the draft pack order. So you can't pick, you can't first pick Aramot's Machinations anymore because it's in it's in pack two if it's uh, two and three mm-hmm. now. So you'll kind of have some idea of whether you'll be able to play it before you see it now. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if it had just stayed Time Shadow, you would still pick it a lot. <laughs> yeah, you'd pick it every time you saw it and try to figure out a way to splash for it because it was just that good. Now you'll have to put some thought into it. Anytime you have to put thought into something, it's probably good. It's probably good good for the better drafters and because uh, it rewards, you know, it rewards thinking. Yeah. It's nice when the game rewards thinking. I'm in favor of it. Yeah, this next one's kind of an interesting change. Two-Face is a... Two-Face was changed in two ways, so it wasn't completely nerfed. Uh, Two-Face used to be uh, a two-shadow, two-two unit. Um, and it had it was a cultist, I believe. I'm not actually looking at it. Um, anyway, but it, has, uh, it had deadly. And when its summon ability is uh, that your opponent discards uh, two cards from the top of their library... And then it had corrupted, corrupted two, um, so you could discard another two cards from the top of their library um, with the shades ability when it died. And now it is a two one instead of a two two, and also its corrupted costs one, so it has a cheaper corrupted, and it's a two one instead of a two two. 
I don't think the corrupted cost is hugely relevant to draft because you didn't even really use it consistently anyway in draft. Like putting cards into your opponent's void sort of helps them in draft more than anything, unless you were a dedicated mill deck. Yeah, you mostly wanted the the shade to be a chump blocker. Right. And so now it can't. Uh, it can't chump block anymore. It disappears at the end of your turn. Unless you have some way of, of, of making all of your units bigger. And so I think Two-Face is... I mean, clearly it's worse. How much worse? I don't know. Uh, its main function was to trade with some huge behemoth from your opponent. Or at least prevent your opponent's behemoths from attacking. Yeah. And... Uh, and and because uh, one of the changes that they made is to pull back on all of the mill cards, like Wretched Raven isn't a boosted card anymore, there's not as many rewards for milling, period. I don't think Two-Face is going to contribute to those plans as much as it did before. Like, that was never, like, one of the strongest draft strategies in this format. Um, but there are cards that care in Echoes of Eternity that care about how how many cards are in your opponent's void? And Two Face was like the card that made those cards work. I I, I was up against a deck that had four Two Faces in it before, um, and ways to bring them back, and that was essentially an impossible deck to beat because the yeah. Two Faces would trade with anything and then come back and trade with other things, and half of my deck is now gone, <laughs> and so. And nothing I can do will get past this like wall of two faces, and that was sort of an extreme case. But still, now uh, now two face is open to anything that can kill something with one health, um, and there are a handful of of ways of killing things with one health. Yeah. If it or gets it now... silenced, it's only a two one, so now it doesn't have as much you know like it doesn't have as much power in double blocks and stuff. Yeah, and it, it yeah it doesn't look favorably to an unfamiliar interloper or right it can't just like attack into stuff uh the same way uh so i don't know i think it still essentially serves its same function mm -hmm. um but uh but it'll be but it'll be weaker it's a subtle change for draft you know just like unfamiliar interloper and rectifier like it'll still the main thing that it does it still does it um but that bonus of it also being like a uh being just big for its cost, you know, a reasonable size for the amount of power you're playing for it is is gone, so you have to, like, sort of reevaluate to some degree. I've been picking Two-Face as high as I was before, and I'm noticing, like, a note, like that it, it doesn't feel like it's paying off quite as much. Um, right. Yeah. It's still, it's still a great, you know, uncommon. It's The thing is, is like, it hasn't shifted that much. <laughs> just, you know, just, just a thing to be aware of. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. The other, the other uh, card that we, um, that, that got changed has nothing to do with any of these other cards. It wasn't part of any powerful decks. They just felt like making a card better that was not good before. Uh, or maybe they're trying to make it a, a playable card in Constructed, and, uh, and incidentally, they're improving it for Draft as well. It's Heirloom Blade. Heirloom Blade is a 6 Justice... Uh, actually, hold on. Let me double-check this before I start talking about this. Edit this out later. <laughs> Should have gotten pictures of all of these and put them in the, in the thing. 
No, no, it's, it's double justice. Yeah, that was what I was checking. So it's six justice, justice, relic weapon. Uh, it was a 3-3, three, three, um, and it cost four less if you sacrifice a unit to play it. So then it would be a two justice, justice, 3-3. Three, three. The change that they made is to make it a 4-4 four, four instead of a 3-3. Three, three. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> now yeah. it's a, now even if you don't sacrifice a unit, it's a six power four four relic weapon, which is okay. It's a medium card, but if it's a two cost four four, that's outright good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's uh, it's an uncommon, so you're not going to see it every draft. But I think it's a premium uncommon at this point. Whereas before it was like ah three three, it doesn't kill a lot of things. Four four kills practically anything. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, I think that's always a, a big breaking point. I mean, even that the 4-4 four, four, that with it onslaughted, you played like a unit with a power yeah. toughness equal to the number of spells you had. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you're often happy just playing that as a 4-4 four, four weapon with and not yeah. getting a unit just yeah, because... Like, oh, I didn't get a unit. But I still killed two of their units, and <laughs> we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's it's easy to underappreciate how how good that extra power and toughness on a weapon is because we're so used to seeing these three three weapons. Yeah, yeah. So now with all of the sort of cannon fodder stuff that you don't mind sacrificing in this format, such as you know rectifier and interloper stuff that uh, the, a lot of the cards we just talked about, two face that sort of had their, um, you know, like the or especially corrupted units that have left a shade behind you can sacrifice it to heirloom blade and suddenly get a huge tempo swing so i think it's bonkers and i think it's one of the premium uncommons to pick up early now cool well so those are the, the those are the main nerfs and buffs and then like we mentioned um the other one of the other really big changes is the pack order change and we kind of talked about the importance of that and then um you had a few uh, sort of themes or, you know, changes in boosted rates and things that are sort of appearing a little bit more now in this new format that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I do. Um, I haven't had a chance to play the format very much. It would be physically impossible to have played it very much at this point, um, especially since the, like, part of the time was when the was when there were just a ton of legendaries and rares in every pack, so that's not a very good way of, of getting an idea of what the new format's going to be like. Uh, so basically, I just want to talk about a couple of trends that I noticed in the card list itself and make a couple of predictions. One of the other things they did is they added 73 commons and uncommons to the draft packs and to Expedition, and nearly all of those are boosted cards, so they're going to occur six times as often as other commons so that's that essentially creates a whole new format um the echoes of eternity cards are still going to be the same but the fact that they changed so much is going to mean that entirely new decks are strong and decks that were strong are going to be weak now so just a few things that i've noticed um all of the combat tricks are back and they are boosted like anything you could ask for most of these are injustice but um there's a bunch in there's a bunch in fire as well. So, and that's a huge change because uh, there were very few combat tricks available before, and they were hard to come by. So now you've got your uh, you've got your finest hour, 
You've got draw strength, both of which are one cost justice uh, combat tricks. They're very strong. You've got high alert, one of my personal least favorite cards that is, has ever existed, which is the plus three, plus three, and endurance. But it also has warp, so people can play it off of the top of their deck. Um, and it it's, uh, let's see, there's a... Uh, there's a bunch of uncommons like uh, the like the plus five plus five with revenge for four. <laughs> That's a significant card. So essentially, now we've gone from a, a format where we very rarely had to play around combat tricks to one where we have to play around them constantly because anybody playing justice is going to have them. They're very easy to accumulate. And uh, that's going to change how you play. Like, the tactical situation in this new format is going to be... Like, the tactical play is going to be much more complicated for for a while until we get used to it. Because um, uh, the combat phase tended to be pretty simple in set 8 up until now, and now it's going to be just all over the place again. You're just going to have to put some thought into what your opponent is holding, pay attention to... That pause that indicates that they have a fast spell, assume that it means that any of their units can can grow at a moment's notice. I've already gotten in a couple of like uh, com- uh, combat trick wars, you know, where one unit has has where like two, one unit blocks another unit, and you have no idea how big they're going to be at the end. You're just going to sort of dump everything in to. Uh, to your unit and your opponent dumps everything into their unit and then winner takes all because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the stakes are high. Uh, but uh, on the, on, on the, on the flip side of that, uh, there's hardly any unit weapons. Um, they, I don't think I, other than what's it called? Uh, the shadow one that gives plus two plus one in uh, quick draw. I, I don't think there's any others that are boosted. So, uh, in that sense, uh, aggro like and sort of like unit enhancement hasn't been helped that much. It's all temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that there's so many, um, so many combat tricks is is uh, I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a big deal. You have to play differently. Um, yeah. Do you think that the fact that there's no, not still not a lot of unit weapons means that. This doesn't actually boost aggro that much um, because, you know, a lot of these combat tricks work just as well in mid-rangey decks. With aggro, it, it, it's a lot helpful to be able to upgrade your 2-2 into a better unit as compared to, you know, just one for one your opponent and then hope that eventually your opponent runs out of units. Yeah, you do. you do want it to be... You do want it to be a permanent change. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't. It's it's too early for me to know for mm-hmm. sure where aggro is situated in this new format. I suspect it's better. I, I, I suspect that the combat tricks, because you can sort of use them as pseudo removal, um, will help your cheap units that you play as aggro. Uh, break a, an opposing blocker, you know, get rid of their largest blocker, and then your other units can still attack, uh, which is, you know, just sort of the traditional use for combat tricks. But then because you don't have that um, sort of continued pressure the next time, uh, then you really have to make those, uh, you really have to make those combat tricks count. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it'll be hard to play aggro. I don't think it'll be as easy as just sort of slapping a big, uh, you know, slapping a crown watch longsword on your one drop and then just beating uh, turn after turn. You'll have to be a lot more tactical with it. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It'll where, also I don't know be where interesting because a lot of these combat tricks are injustice. And I felt like a lot of the successful aggro decks in this format were either stone scar or praxis. Yeah, I think that's going to be different now. I think the I think the fact that uh, that justice so many of justice's commons are now devoted to to combat tricks means that you've got a that it's going to shift so that you're going to be playing more like Rakano and Combre as aggro decks than you are than you are Stone Scar. All right, and so what is the next change you would like to talk about? Uh, well, they they added all of the tricolor commons from I think set five, so yes, from so way, ways back. Uh, and these are all really powerful cards, uh, like Kosul Beastmaster, who is Justice Fire Primal. Uh, it's a five five for five that makes a two two when you play a spell on it or put a weapon on it. It has renown. And uh, that's a that's a great card. There's Ambush Sloth. I don't even care what its actual name is, but it is a 3-4 with Ambush uh, for three uh, in time <laughs> in time Primal Shadow. But it only has Ambush if you have a Relic in play. Um, that's a great card. 3-4 with Ambush. Awesome. Got to remember that's happening if your opponent happens to be playing those factions because it can get you pretty good. Yeah, uh, there was Blaze, uh, which is a fireball based on the number of units that you're using. Anyway, they're all good. All of those three, all of those five, all of, that whole cycle um, is very strong. But also, it's not in factions that are supported in Echoes of Eternity because the three color combinations in Echoes of Eternity that are more or less supported are 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 the uh, are the opposite ones <laughs> <laughs> entirely. Uh, they also added the displays from set five uh, as it, at uncommon. Um, those match the commons that I'm talking about, but again, those are the opposite of the supported colors in Echoes of Eternity. So I, I honestly, I don't know what this means. It means that there's payoffs for whatever three three factions you end up in. If you are a three faction deck, you'll get rewards in in packs three and in packs four potentially for whatever you happen to be doing but you won't get rewards in all of the packs for what you're doing anymore um the focus is is completely split so if you're in three factions you're gonna get about half the payoff as you were before um i don't think that means that three factions is is significantly worse (laughs) really um, uh, but it, it, it means that you just have to, you just have to know that you're not going to get the payoffs, uh, for it, for, for two pet for like all of the packs running the way that you were, you're going to have to really value, uh, those three faction payoffs, uh, a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. This is the change I'm like, oh, most skeptical of, I, you know, again, I haven't played the format, so I, I don't really know how it plays out exactly. But I kind of like this happened in set five also, where, you know, you pack one, you kind of like figure out your colors, then pack two and three, you, you pick up some support cards. And then in pack four, you get paid off for being in your that open three color lane. And now that 
I don't know. This just seems a lot more pun, like a lot more easily punished. Where you think you're in a lane for in pack one, but then pack two and three are in a different three color lane, and then pack four, you're back into that first lane. And you know, with Aramot's or with um, Echoes of Eternity, you know, a lot of the best cards are three colors or double influence. And so you really have to be confident about your choices in pack. You know, you just have to, I don't know, be a lot more correct, I feel like, to end up in a good deck then. Um, yeah, I think sometimes you'll get lucky. It's the, that's, that's the thing with... That's the thing with the displays and the three faction payoffs in general, though, is it always kind of feels like you're going out on a limb if you go in really hard in the first pack yeah. on something with three factions. Um, you just got to know that you're even less likely to get paid off because if you go in really hard on the for on on say Beastmaster colors uh, in the first pack, you know you're not going to see that much support for that in packs two and three. So you'll just pick up, you know, stuff in those just good cards in those three factions. And then in pack four, pretty much random chance whether you'll see cards that support you or not. Because even if it seemed like you were in the right lane in pack one, uh, it's very common in Eternal Draft for people to just kind of switch lanes by pack four and be doing something totally different. That yes. might happen. Um so you kind of have to be flexible, I think, and and be willing to go into and to do something else. Yeah, uh, and a card like Coastal Beastmaster, you know, that was a that was an all star in pack er, in set five. Oh yeah, you loved seeing that for one thing because Renown was the best draft archetype. Yeah, yeah, but also because Renown was really supported. But now, like you said, there's still not a lot of weapons, and so and. All of the combat tricks, you know, we talked about how all the combat tricks are boosted, but that still means they're only in pack one and four. Right. There are just not that many combat tricks or weapons in pack two or three. So you're getting these coastal, you know, you're like, wow, I'm really open in this um, uh, fire justice primal deck in pack one. I got three coastal beastmasters. But you're just not going to see the payoffs in two or three, and you really just need to hope that they're available in pack four. Speaking specifically of Coastal Beastmaster, at least you still have Siege Provisions. Because the, uh, the, the ability on Siege Provisions, where you give it plus two, plus two, and Endurance, wouldn't activate Renown. But the initial spell that gives something invulnerability would activate it. So you still get your 2-2 Flyer. Yeah, that's true. But like... You're only playing, you know, the problem with, I guess the, for me, the problem with that is, you know, we've talked about this a lot. You're only, you really only want one siege provisions in your deck as compared to a card like finest hour or draw strength where you're like, I'll play five of these. Sure. Um, yeah. So like, it's still, you know, like siege provisions is not, it's just like not a card you'll play multiples of. So I guess that still doesn't like move move the needle much for me not too much no uh just just really the fact that there are so many uh combat tricks in packs one and four make it a pr pretty consistent thing now yeah. uh, but then you're also picking up your beast masters so they brought renown back 
to some degree, but they didn't bring back all the renowned cards, just a, just a handful of them. So you can't really draft a renowned deck the same way that you were able to before. Uh, they didn't bring back Forge Master, for example, which was one of the best renowned cards. That was the two two with uh, two two for two Oni that let you draw like a plus two plus one weapon. Uh, and they didn't they didn't bring that back. They didn't bring back like the uh, the, the the Puma, the three cost one that created two one ones when you mm-hmm. activated its renown. Like they didn't they only they only brought back a touch of renown, so you can't really draft the same thing. But uh, you can also you can draft plenty of cards that benefit from having a combat trick. Uh, uh, cast on them like stuff with double like with double damage and and berserk so you've got a pseudo renown deck that you can draft now i'm going to talk about that a little bit later um but maybe i've already oh well there won't be much left to say but i'll mention it again later <laughs> yeah well and i'll i'll still express my i'll i'll keep my skepticism for for later okay. then oh that's fair um so let's move on the the evangels are back uh that's there these are the two twos from the from set seven uh there's one in each faction uh they all do they all do the same thing but they have different combat abilities they all cost two influence and cost two they are all two twos um when you draw them they they create one influence of the faction so, like uh, the the justice one is uh, has life steal. When you draw it, it creates one justice influence, um, and it costs two justice justice to play. These are all pretty good, the evangels, and um, I think they to some degree make up for the lack of the influence strangers because any time you're generating an influence for free, you can kind of and you're playing like three factions, you can play a sigil of your splash color because you've already got something in your main color, the Evangel, <clears throat> that makes it easier to play your your uh, your core cards in your two main factions. That's how I look at the Evangels. And it also makes it a lot easier to play anything that requires two influence. So like if you have a Makar Evangel, which is the shadow one, you can you can you can play all of those great like double shadow influence uncommons a lot easier because right the you've always you you've you've always got that second uh shadow influence so uh, i think that those are gonna make it easier because like those piles that we were talking about before where you need like two influence of three different factions um those are it, it's a little easier to play those if you're playing like the strangers that give you two influence when you play them. But it's a lot easier to play them if you're playing the evangels because that's exactly what you need. Yeah. So I think that those will make up for it. They they don't rec- they don't uh, they don't supply as much fixing as the strangers do that re- that give you two influence clearly. Um, but they do it without having to play them, which is often relevant if you want to play a, a stronger two drop than a than a two-two on turn two, uh, you can you can do that because they they give you the influence when you draw them, and also they are much better as cards because they have abilities. <laughs> um, it's a lot it's a lot better playing a two-two with quick draw on turn two than it is playing a two-two with nothing um, in in terms of board presence. So uh, I'm yeah. I'm happy to see them back. I think 
uh, I'm a, I like playing them a lot more than I do playing the influence strangers. And since strangers in general have been pulled back a lot, like very few of them are are boosted cards anymore. And even the even the uncommon strangers in sets in packs one and, and four are only three times boosted rather than six times. Yeah. So anyway, or twelve, <laughs> yeah, or twelve or whatever ridiculous thing they were originally. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so the Evangels are back. Uh, they're they're all good. Uh, recognize that they are just two twos. So uh, they're but they t- they do tend to be uh, pretty safe picks if there's nothing like really exciting in a pack because they make the rest of your deck easy to play and they're playable by themselves. So yeah, that's neat. That by itself makes the draft the curated draft packs a lot more fun to draft because there's fewer dead cards. <laughs> Yep, exactly. And I think they're a really great fit for this because we keep talking about how many good double influence cards there are. You know, I think the one tricky thing and uh, not saying this is a bad thing, because like you said, I think this is a good trickiness is the fact that unlike the two color influence strangers, you know, those you would pick up off-color ones just because it like didn't matter with these you really don't necessarily want them in your splash color um because you are you might not be able to ever play them and so you do you do sort of want your evangels to be in the colors that you're going to play as compared to the strangers you're just like i'll just play a stranger because i need a two drop and so the well, strangers were always a easy and safe pick, and the evangels are less. You know, they're not an always pick. I would just disagree with the two two strange, the off color two two strangers being an easy and safe pick because I never played those. If a stranger only supplied one influence for me, I just would cut it from the deck almost certainly because I don't like playing a two two for two with no abilities. Yeah, I guess I yeah. I mean, I think this is yeah. I think this could boil down to a difference in in drafting. I don't yeah. Oh yeah, that's a, not... it's definitely a difference in drafting cuz I know that I'm one of the few people that feels that way about the 2-2 influence strangers, but it is how I feel about them. I, I the first card that I look at cutting is always the 2-2 influence stranger that only gives me one influence that I need. Yeah. Um, but I know that a lot of people disagree with me about that. Uh, and that is just a cross that I bear. So another significant thing is that Horn of Plenty is boosted again. Horn of Plenty is the five power, uh, uh, sorry, uh, five, uh, five time, um, relic that gives all of your units plus one, plus one real simple card. Um, Apparently, the most powerful card that has ever been printed in any game ever, according to like my chat while I'm drafting, because everyone always sees Horn of Plenty and is like, "Well, you take Horn of Plenty over absolutely everything." Uh, I I'm gonna just share a little anecdote uh, from when I was um, from when I was streaming recently, which is I was I was kind of complaining that I was that I that the deck that I was playing didn't feel very strong and. Uh, you know, I was I was losing a lot. I had a lot of awkward draws. I had two horns of pl- two horns of plenty in my deck, and someone in my in my chat commented that I was being a bit of a drama queen for someone who had two horns of plenty. And I thought that's a weird comment. I may very well be being a drama queen. I almost certainly am. 
but the fact that I have two horns of plenty should not mean that I have a great deck. It's a good card, but it's a fair card, and it's only great in certain decks. Like, if you're playing, like, if you've got, a like, a 4-5 and a 5-6 on your board and you play a horn of plenty, you haven't done very much that turn. If your board has been wiped because you've done a lot of trading and you play a horn of plenty, you haven't done very much that turn. It's a card that's very dependent on your other cards, and it is very strong in certain situations. You have a lot of flyers, you have a lot of units, and you're going wide, you have a lot of small units. Uh, it's clearly a great card in a lot of situations, um, and sometimes you're really looking forward to picking one up. But it's just a common, and it is fine. You know, It's a good common. I don't understand why it has this mystique of being the most insane common that you can possibly pick up. Uh, it doesn't. It's never felt that way to me, uh, and it's just sort of like, it's it's one of the most missed. Of, it's like it's a great card that's still somehow overrated. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the things that happened is it was just like so good in in the last iteration of the format it was in. I forget what's whether that if it was set six. It must have been set six where um, when it was released um and at the start of that format but by the end of the format it was like one of the best cards in the format or at least a common but that was because the draft packs had changed and the format had changed by the end where it suddenly was in a great format but Mm -hmm. it didn't start out as like the best common in that format and i think that has always stuck with me where, you know, it's a very good card, but it is format dependent. Dependent. Yeah. It is not just like an always the best. It's not necessarily like if you see a Horn of Plenty, you know, it's automatically going to be the best card in the format. It is still very context dependent. And maybe this is a format where Horn of Plenty is very good. I don't know yet, but I don't think you should necessarily just assume it's going to be the best card by far uh yeah yeah i think that's fair um but i do want to mention it uh as something that is going to change the format in some ways because having it as a boosted common in the first pack is often going to give you options like of what kind of deck you're drafting that you might not otherwise have because it is such a unique effect um, permanently increasing all of your the size of all of your units changes what kind of cards are going to be good in your deck because some things that would not have very much board presence two ones and one ones and so forth get significantly more board impact from Horn of Plenty so it's worth knowing that you're likely to be able like you're going to see a Horn of Plenty every time you draft at least one yeah. most likely and you probably will see two, you know, like you, you're going to you if you want to draft the deck with Horn of Plenty in it, you can uh, unless everyone is fighting for them. And then maybe you'll have to you'll only get one. But you're, you're if you want one, you can have one. <laughs> it's the common. Um, and also, I think it's going to change which decks are the best decks uh, in the format, because uh, the lack of Horn of Plenty makes some decks very difficult to draft and draft well. Uh, having it around means uh, means you can draft stuff like Amber Acolyte and uh, just, 
I don't know, just anything, you know, unfamiliar interlo- like any of these little cards that basically uh, have only their spec like the te- their special text on them and their bodies don't matter. Uh, it makes their bodies matter. So, you know, it's it's significant in that sense. I don't want to down- downplay how good the card actually is. Yeah, and I do think that is a good point to bring up that uh, you know, this format does for me, lean towards probably a better Horn of Plenty format because of all the corrupted units. And, yeah, you know, uh, if your chump blocker can now attack for a turn or two, that's... that's And also, it makes all of these cards that we've been talking about, Interloper and Rectifier, that can't chump block twice um, when they only have one, one health, uh, it makes them able to do that because the Shades get the bonus from Horn of Plenty, so they stick around for an extra turn. That's exactly. significant by itself. Like, playing Horn of Plenty with Rectifier makes it feel like a much better card. Both of them. It makes both cards feel better. Um, the one seven zero draft that I've had in this format was a Destruction Sacrifice kind of deck. It was a Time Shadow uh, Fire deck that had two Horns of Plenty. And just a bunch, like it had two Amber Acolytes. Amber Acolyte is the three-time 2-1 that uh, gets uh, that gets any sigil out of your deck, and it had that. It had the zero two that gets a time sigil out of your deck, uh, which isn't a boosted common, but uh, you'll still see it sometimes. It had a, like three unfamiliar interlopers. Like the whole game plan was play a bunch of these little utility guys, uh, play Horns of Plenty, have a handful of big guys that benefit from playing a bunch of little utility guys, which is the. Uh, um, the the five five for six that grows every time you sacrifice something and the submerged titan that we were talking about before that grows every time you play something it was an unstoppable deck because it had a very coherent game plan and horn of plenty was part of it so very much uh, that's a deck that I think everyone's gonna want to look out for and the tools to build it are there so mm-hmm. uh, yeah so this will yeah you know, uh, formats with horn of plenty as a boosted common are different from formats. Without Horn of Plenty is a boosted common. Plus, relics still matter. Uh, Horn of Plenty gives Book Club Yeti, a, you know, turns it into a, a, a... Horn of Plenty turns Book Club Yeti into a card that can kill something with five health immediately. Or just turns Book Club Yeti into a 4-2. Like, yeah. it's... <laughs> there's a lot of cards that it goes well with. So, uh, I, my prediction is that this is a format where Horn of Plenty is at its best, which is why I mentioned it in the first place, even though I think that it's generally an overrated card. I think now it's like this is this is where you pick them up pretty high and you play them. So I just I guess I'll just reverse what I started saying at the beginning. I'll just say the my conclusion. This is how I generally how I generally feel about the card is that it's overrated. But now I feel like it's probably really great. I feel like I've been talking about Horn of Plenty for a half an hour by itself. And that's I'm okay. sorry. That's, this is great. Everyone loves talking about Horn of Plenty, as that's you know. Great. So Yeah, they perfect. do. They love it. Horn of Plenty. Such uh, a right, happy so card. Luckily, nothing else is significant. What, Primal died a terrible twitching death. They decided to take away all of Primal's good commons in the curated draft packs. Uh, all of them. There's nothing. Nothing left. Uh, what they did add is sort of a theme of discard, like all of the cards that uh, that sort of draw and discard are back in. Uh, there's the two one for two that draws a card and then discards a card. There's the two cost spell with echo that draws a card and discards <laughs> a card twice. 
there's the card, there's the spell for three that draws two cards and discards one card. So if you want to sort of shuffle through your deck ineffectually, Primal is the color for you. <laughs> it's <laughs> There's a lot of that. Um, and I think maybe even more significant is that the the big powerful flyers in uh, that Primal has in the uncommon slot are not boosted anymore. They'll still be available, so you'll still mm-hmm. see your big 6-4 dragon um, and your Skycrag Wivark, the, your 3-3 with Killer uh, and Flying and that kind of thing. But none of those are boosted commons now. The closest thing to a big boosted common in uh, in Primal in the uncommon slot now is... Uh, I'm just looking up the name of it is uh, Primal Incarnation, which is the uh, five Primal uh, zero three with flying, and it gets plus one strength for each of your Primal influence. So it's not a good card unless you go hard on Primal. And why are you doing that when none of the other cards in Primal are good? (laughs) It's a question. Is the the seven cost four or five that Permafrost still boosted? That's an Echoes of Eternity card, right? So, oh no, it's not. I'm sorry. No, it's not. It's not boosted. That's not a card that is boosted. So yeah. you're not going to see those very often. Um, that was another good reason to get into Primal. Not boosted. Wisdom of the Elders is boosted. That's uh, that's that that draws two cards. It's a decent card, but again, it costs. Yeah, but two. it doesn't discard a card. So yeah, I don't, I don't know why I'm playing it if it doesn't discard one of the cards in my hand. <laughs> Uh, no, the big the big primal unit is a rage, enraged Arachnidon. That's the big boosted common. Uh, that's the seven primal primal six six with berserk. Uh, it's okay, you know. It's no it's no four five that co- four five flyer that costs permafrost. Ah, yeah, but there's contaminating ritual in this format. True, true. That's pretty good with it's pretty good with ritual. So that's probably a deck. There's it's not the only berserk card at common. They've also brought back Yeti Griffin Rider. So. That's probably a thing. Yeah, a little less exciting to contaminating ritual that, but a little less. Uh, <laughs> not great, but uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> if you're if you're in like Huru, I don't know. Uh, if you're if you're playing Justice in Primal, maybe you can you can temporarily boost your Yeti Griffin Rider that has Berserk and and get some get some damage in. It's Arts. a little hard to tell what they're what they were going for here. Yeah. Yeah, they probably is... noticed that Primal was good for the first time in six sets, so they... Yeah, it went against their mission statement. Um, the, the, so, so I want to talk about the potential of it for like a maximum of 20 seconds here, which is that if, if they are printing that much discard, maybe there's a reason for it. There are cards that care about what's in the void, and I can kind of dimly imagine some sort of Shadow Primal deck where on turn two... You use you discard something a unit into the void with high attack power, and then on turn three you play a skeletal dragon, which is uh, which gets attack power uh, mm-hmm. an attack power bonus based on the largest unit in your void. Something like that, like an Ursat's reanimator deck. You know, uh, I don't know. It it sounds flimsy to me, but yeah, uh, it, it seems like something that I might be open to if it seems 
like that, there's no no better strategy open to me. Uh, but there's not a lot of cards that care about being discarded. You know, the cards that activate automatically when they're discarded, Icy Gaze, the spell that stuns something and it plays for free if you discard it, or the 2-1 that can't block in Shadow that plays automatically when you discard it, are not good cards. Yeah. You know, Icy Gaze is always fringe playable, and sure, if you discard it and cast it for free, pretty good. But uh, it's not... Like, it's never going to be a top draft pick, and it's a flimsy, like, core strategy to draft around. So, not sure. I'm a little disappointed that Primal got hit so hard. Uh, Mm. Because it'll still be okay in Echoes of Eternity, um, but uh, it's going to be tough to be in Primal and then see all of your 3-3 flyers for 4 as a payoff in in set 2 and 3, and then take them, because it's like, ugh, I'm going to... This is going to be blank for for pack four again. So I don't know if I want to get into this. Yeah, I know. And even in in set eight, you know, there were some very good primal cards, but there were still some clunkers that were, you know, primal was still very often open. You know, you're ending with your last three picks being the the one four stranger or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, all of all of that said, you know, I was going to I, I was just looking at the list here and I was going to say that there's there's still probably sort of a relic themed deck that involves primal because, you know, they they reprinted the ambush sloth and all that. And um, there's no there's no common relics that are boosted in in the curated draft packs. At all. <laughs> There's zero <laughs> of them. So that kind of puts the kibosh on that thought. There's just none. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not a huge fan of this like weird bringing back these three faction cards in the draft pack. Yeah, because they're not supporting them well. There's uncommons. There's Pitfall Trap and Cobalt Ring and some other playable relics uh, in Primal, but they, there need to be commons if they wanted to support that strategy. So... Yeah, yeah a little weird. A little yeah. weird. They also sort of brought back the, some muster cards like Green Stretch Empath and the and the three three Yeti that grows by plus two plus two every time you muster. But there's no support for muster whatsoever. They've really brought back on on all of the spellcraft stuff. Uh, they've pulled back on it, so uh, there's not very many ways to activate muster in one card anymore. So I don't know. That's weird. Weird yeah, choices. Yeah, but the, the big boogeyman of the format's back, right? The big boogeyman. What reverberating strike? Yeah, yeah. Reverberating Strike is boosted. It's uh, it's a six times common now. And Touch of Battle, the card that can give Death Touch to Reverberating Strike, is is still an uncommon in uh, in set eight. So you can pick up a couple of speculative Reverberating Strikes in in pack one, and then hope to get Touches of Battle in packs two and three. And then maybe you get a bunch of them, and you get a broken deck. I saw Cassandra draft exactly that deck today. I don't know how many copies of Reverberating Strike he had, but he had uh, three touches of battle and <laughs> and at least two Reverberating Strikes and some and some Ruinous Bursts or Ruinous Blast. Um, anyway, he could wipe out his opponent's board multiple times per game, and it was, I'm sure, a lot of fun for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah so I think the, the fact that the, the pack order switched makes this even a, a weirder, more flimsy combo. 
Sure does. Yeah, if you end up with some, yeah, because it's a touch of battle is an uncommon, so you might not not see one at all. Uh, so yeah. Verbrand and it's is, the it's the better card. So it's the card you kind of want to pick, and then you're like, oh, well, I have two touch of battles. I'll pick a reverberating strike, but. Right. It's a lot harder to convince me to be like, oh, I'll take two reverberating strikes just in case I get a touch of battle. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, like spell damage boost uh, anymore. Like they've pulled back on that as a theme as well. So it's it'll be it's a little it's a little bit of a strange card to 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 double down on because it's a it's a degenerate combo when it works, and it's it's a weak card. And reverberating strike is a weak card that's overcosted when it doesn't work and uh, those are my least favorite kind of draft cards cards that are overpowered sometimes and underpowered other times and never just good i'm 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 not uh, usually a fan of cards like that but it's back and there's nothing we can do about it yeah um and uh then there's a theme in shadow Uh, they brought back all of the shadow relic weapons there's the six six for eight there's the three two for four there's the two one for two that's a three one if you have another relic uh and and there's a few uncommons as well. Basically, any shadow relic weapon that they could find, they have boosted it at common. And that yeah, you means, forgot the one one quick draw. The one one quick draw, yeah, boot knife or whatever. Yep, that one as well. Uh, that's a lot of the shadow commons now, and it's weird because they're all they're all underpowered cards compared to their compared to the the, the relic weapons in fire or justice, but they're back, and it's clearly a theme. And it doesn't seem like it's supported in any way, but if you've got a bunch of shadow relic weapons and you've got ways like soul drain smithing and like reforge and that kind of thing, uh, and you pick uh, pick those up, maybe maybe you could build a thing. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. It seems hmm. it she seems goes hook sword improvised club. I don't know. Yeah, no, one is better than the other. Uh, <laughs> so, but because that's so many of shadows commons now in in packs one and and four. Uh, you know, be open to be open to the possibility of using them as removal and somehow uh, capitalizing on that. They are relics, you know, so anything that pings off of relics can ping off of these um, if they stick around for a turn. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, more more on that in future episodes if I ever manage to make a shadow relic deck work because uh, they went in hard uh, on on that. There are very few shadow units at common because they used up so many slots on relic weapons. Uh, one of the best shadow, one of the best um, common units of all, corrupted umbran, the three four with berserk and and life steal for four is is in shadow. But after that, the quality drops off real fast, <laughs> <laughs> real fast. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Um, that's 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 pretty much the thing uh all of the general trends that i wanted to talk about right now i'm sure there's others this is just a cursory look at it and maybe none of these things maybe there will be other things that matter a lot more as i understand the format better and maybe some of these things won't really matter that much at all i just wanted to briefly mention that uh that attachment removal took a big hit as well uh Disjunction is not a boosted common anymore. Ruin is not a boosted common. Most of the attachment removal is now at uncommon. So if you want to have access to that, because it's still going to be important to kill some of those really good relics from Echoes of Eternity, you got to pick those up when you see them in the uncommon slot. Um, so they'll be that's because it'll be a lot harder 
um, than it used to be when you were able to pick up two or three disjunctions pretty easily. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the deal. And I think that maybe hurts the creation deck a little bit because disjunction was a great way to bring back a, a weapon. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that creation might not be sort of the the tier one deck that you're sort of hoping to draft every time anymore. Uh, time will tell whether it's still good. It's probably still good, yeah. but taking away disjunction um, takes away one of the main cogs that made the whole machine work. And Yeah, it also and- takes away one of, you know... It's, we've been talking about this a lot, where now with that deck, you need both the weapons and the incursion from the same two packs, while Disjunction allowed you to yeah. sort of spread the cards you need <laughs> between multiple packs, which always just makes it easy. You're, you're not relying on, on your two packs as much, which makes it just a more consistent way to draft a deck. Right. There's no co- there's no uh, there's no common in time now that can bring back a relic from the void. They did uh, they did boost uh, ancient excavator, mm-hmm. uh, the sentinel that that draws a relic from your void, uh, which is always a great card. But like that's an uncommon. You can't really count on any of that sort of thing happening. That's part of the general sort of sentinel theme. They brought back a bunch of sentinels, but there's not a lot of payoffs for things being sentinels. It just means that there's going to be a lot of big units in time and fire that they didn't used to have. Like if you want to draft like a big unit and you're playing time, you'll be able to, there's more than enough to go around now. (laughs) There's a ton. Uh, yeah, like in general, my prediction for the format is that time is going to continue to be the best faction by a fair margin. And right. then after that, Justice, Fire, and Shadow will be kind of fighting for it. I think the fact that Shadow has so few good units in packs one and four are going to make it take a little bit of a hit, so it's not going to be number two. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Fire is actually going to be the second best faction. Mm-hmm. I, I I could be wrong about that, but it has a pretty good spread of units um, and some pretty clear sort of strategy, um, like sort of clear like directions uh, that you can follow if you start drafting it yeah. now. So I think it'll be I think it'll be strong. Justice's units in packs one and four are not are not super great, um, it, but it does supply all of those quality combat tricks. So I think it'll be a good support color. Yeah, and, that's interesting because that's also true of Echoes of Eternity packs too, where it is. Yeah. 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 The justice units in Echoes of Eternity are generally weak too. Um and it was so it's gonna be more of a support color. So that's why I'm not putting it in second place is is that like yeah. four straight packs of no quality units makes justice feel a little feel a little <laughs> anemic. Um but great as a support color. Um right. And and shadow, yeah. So yeah, I think time and then fire and then justice and shadow are a little bit behind fire. And then primal is going to be dead last by a fair margin. Um, that's my prediction. We'll see if that uh, if that comes true. Yeah. Cool. And so you want to close out with a couple um, archetypes that you've been seeing. Uh, well, these are just uh, this is I think the, the archetype with the most potential to explore right now, and I haven't actually drafted this archetype, but just because there's so much redundancy in these um, 
in in the cards that they've printed in the in these new draft packs. I think that Rakano aggro is going to be strong again. I, I I'm gonna have to figure out how to build it exactly because as we said, there's not a lot of unit weapons. Um, but I think. Uh, building a deck that can win really quickly through a combination of cheap units with with good combat abilities and those justice combat tricks and to some degree the fire combat tricks like you there's so many cards that feed into that strategy that i think it'll be easy to build whether it's actually as strong as i think it'll be only time will tell but the fact that there's so many like two cost units with berserk or double damage or other similar abilities and then the boosted two faction combo, uh, common in the draft packs is uh, is the Valkyrie one two with double damage and flying for four. Um, all of that means that you can do a lot of damage in a very small amount of time. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's a straight up aggro strategy. And there's uh, like if you want to draft that, you can draft some form of it because the cards are going to be there. Um, and I guess it's good to have a, a to have that archetype be viable i the thing that's missing is removal because fire doesn't have very good removal right now um so the the like it's hard to it's putting a lot of strain on your combat tricks if you're using them as pseudo removal to get past big blockers and to do the damage that you need to close games out so finding the balance of how many combat tricks you need and how many uh, little potentially dangerous units you need and all of that is something that I'm going to have to play with a little bit. But I think there's potential there, and Rakano hasn't been like awesome for a while now, so I'm excited to try drafting it again. Uh, the other archetype I wanted to talk about, I've really already talked about, but the Destruction Sacrifice deck that, uh, that I went 7-0 with I think is a viable archetype in general, and that's mostly because Amber Acolyte is, is boosted now um, and Horn of Plenty is, is boosted. So you can play a bunch of little dorks early on. Uh, also, uh, Herbalist is, is boosted, um, the, the card that uh, lets you discard a card from your hand when you play it, and then you can play that as a spell uh, for three to get any influence you want. The having both Amber Acolyte and Herbalist um, and uh, Interloper means that you can play, you know, three factions very, 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 very comfortably. Maybe even four factions, and all of those are cannon fodder for sacrifice effects, and all of them get better when you play um, Horn of Plenty. So, like, it's a pretty easy strategy to draft around. Mm-hmm. Play your early dorks. Uh, have a handful of like big units to sort of close games out that benefit from you playing a bunch of dorks. Have some sacrifice effects. Have uh, one or two horns of plenty. Uh, go nuts! Like it's a it's a solid thing to draft around. And you can always play a destruction sacrifice kind of a deck. But I think all the tools are there to make it kind of a, a tier one draft archetype. Now I'm gonna sort of look at it as sort of something to fall back on now. Um, uh, as something that I think will generally be strong, you know. Cool. Until and then that's it. I mean, those are my initial thoughts for now. And uh, I'm sure I've missed most of the important things going on because uh, it's a huge change to foist on us with no warning, frankly. Yeah, and you know, like you, like we've been saying, I mean, wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Because also we've had a couple days to play it, but it's hard to know what's real and what's not with how crazy the packs were for these first couple days. So 
Yeah, it was it was very deceptive. Like the things that were happening on that first day, especially was just sort of chaos. And uh, it does. What I will say is that um, is that it it feels like this is a big change. It's not like the last change where they added five cards and then changed the rarity of a handful of them. They added 70 cards. They added 73 cards and um and made all of them cards that you will see most of the time when you draft that's that's essentially a 50% new format you know that's yep. that's a new environment to explore um and fundamentally changes what we're going to be doing so for that good because i get bored easily i like it when they change things <laughs> And I would rather they change things in a big way than just sort of make weird little changes gradually and everyone has to kind of adjust in an awkward way. I'd rather just everyone start fresh to a certain degree. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, every card is something that we've seen before. There's no actual new cards. Everything is from previous sets. So it's a new alchemy. It's not new like functionality, you know, like we'll be seeing synergies between cards that we haven't had a chance to see synergies between in a limited format. Uh, But there's no abs, there's no completely new quantities. And so it's kind of gets the nostalgia and the excitement for something new at the same time. Uh, So that's neat. It's a it's a new feeling. They haven't done exactly this before in the time that I've been playing Eternal. So I'm optimistic. Yeah, I think possibly it'll be... delirious, possibly delirious, possibly. maybe mostly <laughs> optimistic. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm, I'm excited. It'll give us uh, some new fodder for the show. So I think yeah. it'll be interesting, you know, these coming weeks. I'm really excited. I do think we're going to end our show there. So uh, once again, a thank you to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Helps get the word out about the show. Another way to do that is to like all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts and leave a comment. Um, and then you can join us in our Discord. There'll be a link in the show notes below um, where you can talk about draft, post seven win deck lists, and um, yeah, remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night, everyone. Goodbye.